of our biggest, most respected journalistic institutions really been like telling everyone's truth? Like, sure, we've been telling truth, but whose truth and and how and and for what purpose? And isn't the fact that we haven't really been telling everyone's truth, isn't that kind of how we miss the election? Reporting the truth is at the core of what we do as journalists. But with accusations of fake news and bias flying around, there's no better time to look at what we believe in and why we do our jobs. I'm Michael O'Connell, and this is It's All Journalism. Stephanie Lepp is an independent artist who creates media and experiences that hold up a mirror so that people can see themselves more clearly. Stephanie is also the producer of Reckonings, a podcast that examines how people shift their political worldview, overcome bigotry, and experience other types of transformative change. Welcome to the podcast, Stephanie. Thank you. Thank you, Michael. So now the reason we're doing this podcast is you actually reached out to me recently about an episode that you had just produced of Reckonings uh, that had a journalistic theme. You know, what was it about that episode that you thought I'd be interested in, but also the the listeners of our uh, podcast? Yeah. So, you know, we're in this quote unquote, you know, post-truth moment, you know, our journalists are grappling with accusations of fake news and, you know, being called the enemy of the people. And, you know, and, and, and there's this question, you know, how do we respond to this? How do we overcome this? How do we deal with this? And a lot of what seems to be happening, at least kind of in the in the mainstream media, is kind of this like knee-jerk reaction, you know, knee-jerk kind of pulling in the opposite direction. It's like, oh, you're accusing us of fake news. Well, no, we're, you know, we're truth. You know, we stand for truth. You know, but has journalism, has the mainstream media, you know, have our biggest, most respected journalistic institutions really been telling everyone's truth like sure we've been telling truth but but whose truth and and how and and for what purpose and isn't the fact that we haven't really been telling everyone's truth isn't that kind of how we miss the election like there's actually something you know hard hard to be reckoned with here you know and lewis lewis the person who's featured in this episode you know does a really brilliant job you know i i, I talked to multiple journalists i should mention before i found him and and Lewis, I feel like, does a brilliant job of, of not just doing this knee-jerk reaction of like, oh, no, actually, we tell the truth, you know, and kind of just doubling down on truth, but actually asking, you know, well, is there any merit to these accusations? You know, what is our relationship with truth? You know, is there actually such a thing as the liberal elite media? And if so, you know, what do we do with that? And in really grappling with these questions, he moves beyond just the, you know, like just stand with the truth. And, and I feel like, you know, offers a much more beautiful and sophisticated way to respond to these accusations of fake news and evolve journalism. I was really kind of intrigued by this podcast, you know, as a journalist, as somebody who does a podcast about journalism, as somebody who's talked a lot about these very subjects over the last couple of years and how journalists can sort of grapple with these issues and what I would say is that Lewis's, I mean, this is a very personal journey for him. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think he's necessarily saying that all journalism is bad or that everybody has to, to behave and make the choices he makes. Yeah, of uh, course. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, he said some things in there that, that I was kind of like, well, you know, a different type of journalism, you know, environment, you know, maybe he would have had reacted differently or had a different experience. But I think that the choice he's he's made 
you know, are valid. And I think that, again, there's something that, that all of us are kind of wrestling with following, well, even leading up to the 2016 election. You know, there was a point when, and I've talked about this in the podcast, where, you know, we had a number of podcasts at the end of 2016 and, and through 2017 talking about fake news. And I kind of had this feeling that, okay, well, this, this topic is going to go away, but it hasn't gone away. Mm-hmm. And it's not just about fake news. It's about objectivity, you know, understanding that, yeah, you know, if you're a journalist, if you're covering an event, you have a subjective point of view. The, mm-hmm. Your publication, you know, has a point of view. That doesn't mean that you can't strive for impartiality and objectivity in, in your coverage. One of the things that, that I think kind of Lewis sort of talked about that I was like, well, I, I'm not sure if I agree with him on is that, you know, just because we we you know, that there's not value in what we're doing from an objective uh, in covering um, an event objectively. I think what had happened is we got into a situation where we, we had to sort of fall back on our basic belief that if we cover something truthfully, that the, the truth will win out. And this idea that we were seeing an alternative truth, um, fake truth <laughs> being put forward and we were actually our truth, the truth that we were reporting, our point of view, the, the things that we were supporting by factual reporting were sort of being pushed back against. And I think that's sort of a new experience for a lot of people. I think what you're seeing and I think what has worked well is, you know, fact checking organizations, you know, things like the the Washington Post and some of the other organizations that will take a politician's um, statements and sort of examine, you know, how how much truth is in there. And there are also people who are trying to create programs that provide a perspective on, on how truthful and how trusted, I think maybe trusted is probably the better word, how trusted certain news sources over are over to others. But I think it's it's an ongoing process. And, and people are, are trying to, on the one hand, trying to leverage the technology that we have. But then on the other hand, they're, they're sort of asking themselves as journalists, as professionals, as human beings, you know, what is my role in this? What is my role in the newsroom? You know, what is the greater truth, the thing that I want to go work on out there? And what Lewis does, which I find really valuable, is he says, in a way, it's like truth is not enough. Like truth should be a baseline. All journalistic work should be true and fact-checked and great. And that there are still questions like whose truth are we telling? How are we telling? Whose truth are we not telling? Right. In, in terms of how we missed the election, you know, and trust, it's like it's no longer enough to say, trust me because I'm Walter Cronkite. Like that just doesn't it's not right. going to work anymore. It has to be trust me because I'm accurately reflecting your experience of reality because I'm accurately telling your story in a way that actually helps you in a way that helps you live your life. You know, so the fact checking is, you know, it's like he's going beyond that in a way that I find really visionary actually. <laughs> well, and, and one of the things that I, I do agree with him on, and I think this is sort of what you're you're talking about, is this idea that we need to make sure that more people are represented in the truth that we're covering, in the stories that we're covering. There are more voices that are being heard. I think there are a lot of reasons why the mainstream media was surprised by the, the election. Part of it was you know, they were viewing it with the eyes that they had always viewed it with. They didn't recognize it maybe as a sort of a transformative moment for many people in different parts of the country. 
That's also sorry, that's also what Lewis said. It's like the mainstream media was surprised, but like one of the lines he says is like there was nothing missable about Donald Trump's rise to power from the perspective of Central Ohio. But the national media isn't in Central Ohio. Like it was surprising to the mainstream media because of the like bias that the mainstream media has. Because had you asked like a lot of people in a lot of places that the national media isn't necessarily covering, it wouldn't have been surprising at all, or it wouldn't have felt transformative. Like you could have seen that, you know, the the way he says it, like a rising tide of white supremacy coming for our national politics. Like this didn't actually have to be surprising. It's just a matter of what, you know, again, like whose truths we have been telling or how we have been telling them. I think the how is the the big thing is this idea that we, we view, you know, covering an election, for example, as a sort of a competitive event. And then that we, you know, we're only polling certain parts of the country. We're sort of disregarding other parts of the country because either we don't have resources out there or we don't think that they sort of matter. There are journalists, you know, mainstream journalists who did go, you know, to Trump rallies in middle America and they saw something different going on. But they were not the ones who maybe sort of driving that story because it didn't fit the larger narrative of how, you know, the mainstream media thought this election was going to come out. And, you know, there's certainly accusations. I don't know. I don't want to get into a whole big conspiracy about the, the liberal media elite. You know, I do think it is, you know, if you follow the same patterns every time you cover a story, you, you're going to miss something. I think that that's probably what the biggest lesson out of this is, is that we we didn't cover it the way we should have covered it. And we were surprised by it. We shouldn't have been surprised. That being said, I mean, there still is value in the work that we do. You know, we get failing grades for some areas, but I think we, we also get passing and above grades in others. That journalism is a constant struggle to do our jobs better right. and, and to find the greater truth. And I think, you know, reporting facts, reporting truth, you know, trying to be a diverse base of sources, talk to different type of people, give a more complete picture of what the, the larger story is. I mean, I think that's kind of the way that you, you transform things. Right, right. And actually, just to jump off your, your metaphor of using grades, like I think what Lewis, again, does, which is so helpful, is that instead of saying like, hey, why are you attacking us as being fake news? We're, you know, we've been getting an A+. Lewis is saying, like, actually, maybe our grades have been slipping, you know, and like there's something to be learned here. We actually can do better. And so it's just it's just such a like inviting us to, to grow, inviting us to really meet this. Well, when I say us, I don't really actually consider myself a journalist. So let's just say, yeah, inviting journalism to grow. If newsrooms don't like learn the lessons of 2016 and before and after, well, then we're not going to be able to do our, what our proposed mission is. We're not, we're, not, right. we're not serving the public. We're not right. reporting the truth. We're not reporting the, right. the news. So this is a good point. I think I'm going to go ahead and play a little clip here from Reckonings. This is a, episode 20, a little bit about what Lewis Wallace is talking about. Yeah, so he, he was a reporter at Mark on Marketplace. For those of you who listen to Marketplace, you may have heard him, you know, on the Marketplace Morning Report live with David Brancaccio. In this quote-unquote post-truth moment that journalists are grappling with, he really asks the question, you know, so what is, what is our relationship with truth? You know, what is the value of objectivity? And this clip comes right after 
a major thing happens. I will not say what it is because I don't want to give the story away, but he's basically reflecting on his career in journalism and, and how he might have strayed from his values in a way that has made perhaps journalism vulnerable to the kinds of critiques that are now being levied against it. Okay, here is uh, that clip from episode 20 of Reckonings. Before I started doing journalism, I was hyper aware of the power dynamics between journalists and kind of marginalized and underrepresented people, in part because that was such a strong, pronounced dynamic in coverage of trans people. But then it's really easy to get caught up in the day-to-day of doing journalism, like the tendency to kind of call people up and just like grab a quote and then go off and do your story and never talk to that person again. You know, the, the tendency to kind of be extractive in your approach to stories is like very much exacerbated by working in national media because there's less accountability. There's actually quite a bit of accountability in some ways for local reporters. They might have to face the people face-to-face that they write about. As I became a national reporter, I had kind of fallen into a pattern of making excuses for not really being in that kind of accountable relationship with an audience or especially with the most vulnerable people that I might interview or talk to. You know, Eddie Cave in Detroit. Objectivity and neutrality in some ways can be sort of a a framework that excuses us from talking about accountability. You know, we're not accountable to anyone in particular. We're just neutral. You know, we're just middle of the road. We we report the facts. But there was some kind of there was some kind of bug in my ear that was saying, I don't know, man. <laughs> like I I don't know if what you're doing is really ethical. being a trans person coming out as queer really young I've just always related to reality as something that I'm both participating in and responsible for changing right and some people would say well that means you shouldn't be a journalist (laughs) you know because you're you're a person who wants to change reality not just tell it but I absolutely don't buy the argument that narrative and truth-telling is separate from the shaping of the world. There's just no way that I could separate the work of journalism from the work of, you know, either transforming or upholding the status quo. So that was a pretty uh, a powerful little segment from your show. And I think it kind of addresses some of the, the big questions he had about objectivity and narrative and, you know, how to be accountable. I think, you know, that's that's a word we, we haven't mentioned yet, you know, accountability. I mean, good journalists have to be accountable. They have to, if they mess something up, if they make a make a mistake, that's part of the, the deal. You You come out and you say, I messed up and here are the facts. You know, here's here's the thing that I messed up and uh, try to make it better. 
Also, I think, you know, he talks a bit about, you know, maybe people not being aware or journalists not being aware that, you know, narrative and objectivity and the way they cover the news, they don't understand that it has an impact on on the world. And and if you're in journalism long enough, you, you see change mm-hmm. and you can see the impact of the work that you do. And that's why it becomes so important that you you talk to all of the people you're as transparent and you, of your process and you admit your mistakes. Yeah. So tell me about Reckonings. It's a podcast about transformative change. What what made you decide that you wanted to do this? Really just through being involved in, you know, in social issues and social change. And, you know, the question would always come up for me, you know, are we changing anyone? You know, like, am I changing anyone's mind on, you know, climate change or minimum wage laws or or whatever issue I happen to be focused on at the time, Mm -hmm. which, of course, then begs the question, you know, how do people actually change? How, you know, how do people actually change their hearts and minds? And that became kind of a a fascination of mine. So I, I started keeping, you know, this very unscientific running list of the things that I thought, you know, kind of like radically transformed people. So, you know, near death experiences, falling in love, birth of the first child, you know, psychedelic experiences, you know, rarely, but sometimes, but very, very rarely information. And so this very highly unscientific exploration, I finally realized, and after just sitting with this question for enough time, I finally realized might be fun to manifest in the form of stories, you know, as a podcast and and actually actually talking to people who have undergone these kinds of transformative change. So, yeah, so Reckonings really comes from this idea that change, you know, out there in the world, you know, happens, you know, in here, you know, inside of people. And which goes back to the question, you know, how do people change? You know, how do, how does a deeply conservative congressman make a, a dramatic shift on climate change? How does a, these are actual episodes, you know, how does a white supremacist overcome, you know, transcend extremism? How do, you know, bullies, let's say like young bullies in high school, like overcome that behavior? So it's been a, it's been a pretty diverse cast of characters, but the through line is this, you know, is an exploration of this question, you know, how do people change and how do people change in ways that connect to or scale into broader social change? I mean, we're all changing all the time. I think the things that get a lot of people maybe discouraged about, like the political dialogue that's going on now, whatever your particular bent is, you know, your anger or or frustration, you know, your anger at the other side, your frustration that something is not changing, you know, quick enough, or it's not changing in a way that's, that's you think is going to impact the people that you, you want to see this change be made for, you know, the closer you get to the ground, it's the, it's the tree for the forest sort of thing. If you look at the forest, the forest is not changing, but if you, you look at a, a single tree, a single person, I think that was one of the things that the lessons of, of the, um, of the election, the, East Coast, the West Coast, where a lot of a lot of people, where a lot of the media is, is sort of controlled, mm-hmm. you know, their economically their situation was very different than Middle America, mm-hmm. and I think the change that had occurred in the middle Middle America, 
people on the coast may have been aware of it, but they didn't maybe feel it because they didn't they weren't experiencing it day in and day out. So those individuals in middle America, they changed because of the experiences that they were going through. And it became a group change because they were all together and they all felt the same way. So to try to get, you know, try to convince a large group of people to sort of change their behavior, you know, obviously that's much, much harder than, you know, those individuals who can sort of relate. That's why, you know, what you're doing with, with, with your podcast, you're telling one person's story. I mean, that's key to getting individuals to think about their own lives and how to change. Yeah. And these people are kind of these, kind of these like amazing bridge people because they know both worlds. They're, they're like bilingual or they can kind of speak these multiple languages. Like they understand, you know, these different ways of being because they have been, you know, and they have changed. And so, so it's just a really valuable kind of portal through which to understand perhaps, you know, people who we don't feel like we can understand or people who we feel like we cannot necessarily relate to. What is it that, that got you into this idea of, you know, asking big questions? Asking big questions. <laughs> well, so I'll just give you a little anecdote. When I was in second grade, I had a lunchbox that had Bert and Ernie on it. And Bert was carrying a lunchbox that had Bert and Ernie on it, you know, and Bert was carrying a lunch. And for me, it was just like, wow, I was like, how far do the lunchboxes go? You know, and then all of a sudden, you know, I looked up at this, it's like, wait a second, am I in a lunchbox too? You know, and and it was just like, suddenly, you know, second grade, like, you know, being awed by the concept of infinity. And, that is just kind of an emblematic of me, my childhood, my kind of orientation towards asking questions. I mean, yes, a silly question. Am I in a lunchbox too? But like, what is infinity? You know, how does, do things go infinitely small and infinitely big? And yeah, I just have generally, I feel like been in a state of wonder and curiosity and asking questions as a way of being in the world. So, so your mind was blown by Bert and Ernie when, <laughs> when you were, were in second grade. Okay, well, it's not a it's not a bad path to go. Uh, <laughs> I mean, no, I mean it's important to question. It's okay. important to not even just big questions. It's important to question. Yeah, uh, sometimes is, it gets people into a little trouble. Sometimes it's like, can't I just relax and not ask so many questions? But I do find it helpful. When, when before we turned on the mics, uh, we were joking about how hard it is to do a podcast. Oh, yeah. I want to ask you about that, actually. Oh, uh, uh, well, you've been doing your podcast for a couple of years, and mm-hmm. you, you pretty much do it all by yourself, I guess. Yeah, that, yeah. That's hard to do. I've, I've done episodes of this by myself, and it's, you know, doing a podcast can be very rewarding, but it also can be kind of a lot, very hard. Part of my mantra is like, yeah, no, everybody can podcast. It's really easy. And it, uh-huh. the the tech, yeah, I'm lying to people basically. No, the uh-huh. the technical aspects of podcasting are super easy, and getting it up online are super easy. But all of the stuff that makes a podcast, you know, interesting and successful and regular, I guess is the word I want. All of that stuff is is nightmarish. The you know, setting up interviews and setting up, you know, figuring out other people's schedules and you know when you're going to have time to edit the audio and, you know, when are you going to have time to write up the text that goes with it and post it and then promote it? It's just a constant second job for me mm-hmm. and the several other people who help me uh, do it. Right now we have five people working on the podcast. Yeah, I do have a few friends who give feedback on drafts 
and they are hugely helpful. So if we're going to leave this in, I'm just going to give a shout out to Helena DeGroote, Vika Aronson, and Ali Walner, who are kind of like the three main, you know, I, I'll call them my editorial assistants, yeah, who give great feedback. So how much longer do you think you're going to do Reckonings? You're just going to keep doing it? Actually, that's a very related question. I can't really afford to keep doing it. You know, the first first year or so was really proof of concept was, you know, does this work? Is this interesting? Are people into it? Am I, do I enjoy it? Am I good at it? You know, and it feels like the answer is a resounding yes, all of those things, you know, yes. And so this next chapter has been, okay, now how to make it a financially sustainable thing. And that has proved very difficult. And so I don't know. I, I don't know the answer. I don't really think I can, something needs to change <laughs> and something needs to change soon. And I'm trying to figure, and I, I actually have been getting episodes sponsored. So, you know, for a, an, a, an organization that's interested in a particular theme, you know, so uh, one episode featured a former jihadi extremist and a former white supremacist and kind of weaving their stories together. And it was an organization that is involved in transcending violent extremism. And so they sponsored that episode. And so, but even if I get individual episodes sponsored, that's like a one-off thing. I need a more sustainable kind of baseline of support. It also to grow, like the episodes are kind of once a month are actually less, less often, you know, and listeners really seem to enjoy it. I mean, one listener said this, this podcast has like helped keep him going like over the last couple of years. Like, because it, it gets into these heavy things, you know, extremism and climate change and, you know, all, it, but in a way that is hopeful, in a way that helps us see our way out of it. So it's actually kind of intersection, you know, things that are really heavy and hopefulness. You know, I would like to be producing it more often. They're, you know, better, more often, you know, and more complex. I have ideas for episodes that I'd love to do that I could do on my own, but it would be, this is also not my background. You know, I'm making this up as I go along. I don't, I don't know how to do scoring and music. I mean, I'm just doing what I can, but I would love to work with people who actually really know how to do this. You know, and I've also gotten into kind of a little bit of a, a style or a format. Like, I just want to explode the format. Who knows, you know, what this could be or what this could sound like? Like, what is a reckoning? I'm understanding that as I try to kind of edit it, you know, and I would love to work with people who who are trained in this and can kind of help, you know, push it and, and expand it and get more creative with it. So how <laughs> your original question was, how long am I going to keep doing this? I don't know. I hope I definitely feel like there's more runway. I mean, there is just a never ending list of stories I want to do. And so it's really more a matter of whether I can kind of get the support for this and probably within the next year, or yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't know. I don't know is the answer to your question. <laughs> Hopefully for longer. Yeah, no, I, I mean, you say a lot of things in there that, you know, I've heard in various ways from lots of different types of podcasters and, you know, I completely sympathize <laughs> with everything that you, you've said, you know, besides just the, the work of a podcast, growing a podcast, making it something bigger or different, it's tough to make something that's interesting to people and then produce it regularly. I mean, we're kind of a luxury with this podcast that we're able to do it pretty much on our own, on our own dime. But, you know, if you want to make it part of a, a career, then, you know, that's a whole other path and a whole other, 
you know, process of, of figuring out how to make the, how to do that. And there are people who do it and, and have been quite successful on it. But you need right. to, you need to come up with a topic people like. You got to grow your audience. You got to be you got to give content that's regular. You know, maybe for you, you know, maybe what you do is you commit to like producing six episodes. You know, like serial, you do six episodes and you 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 lay them out over six weeks. You just this is it, and that's a season. And so you sort of produce it as seasons as opposed to try to do it as monthly. I was doing that at first, and what I found was then I couldn't learn in between the episodes. But that might be less so now because the learning curve has kind of is a tiny bit less steep than it was in the beginning. Although, still, like, how does that help with the financial piece of it, you know? You know, maybe if you do, you know, six episodes on one topic or. Well, so that, that's actually what I'm shifting into is themes. So the next theme is exactly what you're saying, because it actually might be easier to fund a topic. So the next theme that I will be diving into, and this is, I should also mention reckonings is not the only thing I do. So this is also, um, I also want to get help because there are other, you know, as an independent art, I, I have other works that I'm involved in. And so I'd rather have people who are more experienced, you know, in audio storytelling than I am to free me up to be doing the other work that is maybe a little more in my wheelhouse. But kind of what I'm doing now, it, partly to just integrate all my work together, but and also partly because it might make funding easier is just taking a theme and then producing a whole series of work around it, which will include reckonings episodes as well as other work and so this first theme i'm trying with that is is technology is our our reckoning with technology so right now i'm basically that's part of i mean along with editing the next episode is you know trying to find a you know a funder or funders and a media partner for a whole series of you know media and events that kind of showcase and invite and, and and celebrate an evolution in our relationship with technology. It sounds like you're on a on a path here, and I think you should continue doing reckonings because I, <laughs> thank you. I, I like like your production value. I like the uh, the topics and the depth of it that you go them, and I like the fact that you're you're involving like people's points of view that you're you know, presenting us to people that we can identify with, or maybe we don't identify with, but we get a maybe better understanding of. Stephanie, thanks for coming on the podcast. Thank you so much, Michael. It was really fun. Yeah, it was. You've been listening to It's All Journalism, a weekly podcast about the people who make the news. You can find out more about us and download past episodes at itsalljournalism.com. While you're visiting our website, why not sign up for the It's All Journalism newsletter? You get all the latest info about our podcast, including episode notes and news about live events and upcoming episodes. Go to itsalljournalism.com to subscribe. It takes a lot of people to produce an episode of It's All Journalism. Nicola Grisco produced this episode. Amber Healy wrote our web content. Nick Dupre wrote our theme music. Amelia Brust helped with our booking. Nicholas Hunter provided a web assist. And I'm your host, Michael O'Connell. It's All Journalism is produced in partnership with the Association of Alternative News Media. Thanks for listening. 